God is so good, isn't he? He's so good to us. He loves us so much, doesn't he? And I love that Jesus, he didn't have to. I love that he wants to be our friends as well. He could just demand to be praised as God because he is God. But I love that he is our friend and he's so good. Thank you, Lord. Just want to get right into his word this day. I just want you, if you have your Bible, you can open it. Otherwise, just follow along. I want you to look at the verse in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. Acts 13, verse 22. It says in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David. A man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He says, he will do everything I want him to do, or you may know it as, uh, he will carry out my will. He will do my will. And I love this so much. I just was spending time with the Lord, just asking the Lord And I don't know how long he's going to speak today. It may be short today, but I just got before the Lord and said, what do you have? And I feel like the Lord gave us a very simple thing this day, which is I just want you to be after my heart. The Lord just wants us to be after his heart. It's such a simple thing that he's asked of us. It's such a simple thing. That's it. Just be after my, my heart. And then Tamisha, during worship, I was thinking the same exact thing. I've been saying it these weeks, this, this simple title that we have for Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You know, that is exactly what this whole thing is about. Humanity is about. The Lord created the earth. It says that he created the heavens and he created the earth. And then he, he spoke light And then he spoke life in the plants and the seas and the stars and the animals and all these things. And yet he said, it's not quite perfect yet. I'm not finished yet. There's something missing. And he wanted, he wanted to have a relationship. He wanted fellowship. He wanted uh, creation that he could commune with. That was the whole point. We weren't put here to build our little kingdoms in the sand, although he's not opposed to us building and creating and doing and being. Of course not. He put those things inside you, but that's not the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose of why we were made was to know God, was God wanted to have communion with us. And Adam and Eve, and, and this, is, this is elementary, this is Sunday school, but Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They walked with him. It says, in the cool of the evening, they met with God. And then something happened. Sin happened. We lost that place, that relationship that we had with God. We lost that special place with God, and sin pushed us away from God. Jesus bridged that gap back. Jesus brought us back into the garden. Jesus brought us back into that place where we can be one with God and walk with God again. That's the the whole point. He gave us eternity, yes, and gave us life, yes. But the whole point of what he did was so that we could be one with him, so that we could walk with him again. That's why his name means God with us. The only thing that can keep you from God is sin. And and sin is so simple. It's so simply defined. It's really just anything other than what God has asked you to do or be. That's it. Anything. You can define it so simply. We don't need to go down lists. It's what has God asked you to do and be. Sometimes God asks people to do things that aren't even sins in the list. Come on, who's been asked of God to get rid of stuff in your life? That's not sin, but God has asked you to get rid of it, right? We've all been asked of those things. And if we reject it, then we enter into a place of sin that's not on a list, but Jesus came to bring us back to that place. And we see this, this man in the Old Testament that God can't stop talking about. 
He's talking about him all the way through the whole Bible, this, this guy named David. And it's a guy that God says was a man after my own heart. He's a man after my own heart. I just want you to look, I want to look in the book of 1 Samuel, why Jesus, uh, why Jesus ultimately why he paid the price, why he shed his blood, why he did what he did is because we cannot get to that place with God on our own. What happens is in our own strengths, in our own uh, way, we make a mess, don't we? Who knows? We can have really good intentions, really great intentions, but we make a mess, don't we? It's impossible. You cannot be good on your own. You cannot be right. You cannot be righteous. You cannot do anything pleasing really to God without Jesus helping you do it. And we see that there was a man, if I'm going to talk about David being a man after my own heart, why did God have to go looking? And it says, and it says that he removed this guy named Saul. And I, was, I just wanted to go and search the word for, for all the ways that David was a man after God's own heart, but I was compelled. I just kept coming back to this guy, Saul. Who knows about Saul? The reason that the Lord went looking for David is because of Saul. Saul really birthed David, all right? David, the Lord was, had to go looking for a man after his own heart because of Saul. And I was just heartbroken by his story. And if you know his story, this will be review for you. If you've been walking with the Lord, then of course you know about Saul. He's one of the most famous characters in our Bible. And I just want to go through something. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, it says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. Everybody say out loud, secret motives. We all have them. <laughs> we all have things in our hearts that we're not even aware of. We're not even aware of what's in our hearts. Who knows that... Uh, you really don't know what's in your heart until you've been pushed to a place of the extremes. Then you see what's in you. Who's surprised at what comes out when we get squeezed? <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised. What we need to do is just give it to the Lord in that exact moment. That, that, that very moment, just give it to the Lord. Don't be surprised at what comes out when we're squeezed, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. Don't camp there. The Lord's going to squeeze you again anyway. So you might as well just give him what you've got today. Let him squeeze you again. He's getting, he's getting that out of us for our own good, isn't he? So the Bible says that you don't even know your own heart. The human heart is so wicked down deep inside. That's why Jesus gives us a new heart, right? That's why we need the heart of the Lord. That's why, you know, David, to truly understand what David had, he didn't, he didn't have a heart that was like God's. He literally wanted to do what God wanted. He wanted to please God. He wanted God's eye on him and say, well done, right? Just like we see in Revelation, just like we see in the New Testament, just the disciples were going after. The same thing, this, this heart that says, I just want to please you, God. Now, David made many mistakes. In fact, in fact, David's mistakes, I mentioned this, I couldn't, I can't remember because I say a lot of things that aren't in my notes, but I know I said it. But David's sins were so great that if he had committed them today, the church would be in uproar. It, it's, it was so great that he would be on death row and we as the church would be picketing out front not to say let him out, forgive him, but he deserves what he's going to get. To cover up his sin, he sends the husband of the woman he cheats on, 
he sends the husband to die, but 20 other men die with him. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Is a being after God's own heart perfection, or is it a heart that is repentant before the Lord? What Jesus is looking for is a heart that is repentant before him. That is so much more powerful than your perfection. But here's what happens with repentance. Perfection comes. When you repent, then the Lord says, okay, repentance is I'm giving you that junk that's coming up out of me. The Lord takes it out of your life and replaces those areas in you with his heart with his life. Amen. It says in verse 10, Jeremiah 17, the Lord searches the hearts and he examines the motives. He searches the hearts. He examines the motives. God is after our hearts. He's after individual hearts. I was just thinking how God is so big. He's so great. He has a grand plan. God has a plan that is beyond time. The plan began before even the world began. Even Jesus himself, even Jesus was planned before sin was even a thing. Before it even existed, Jesus was already in the works to come and redeem us. God is so big and so great and so grand, it's beyond our thinking. Our human thinking cannot fathom how big God is, and yet he cares about one little guy, one little man, one little nobody. He cares so much for you. He loves you so much, and he wants to know you. And knowing God is, I was just meditating on this, it's not telling God about yourself. (laughs) God already knows the secret things of your heart. It's not going to God and God getting to know you. Knowing God is you knowing about Him. God already knows everything about you. He knows what you'll never know about you. There are things in you that you will never know. Some things will never be unraveled until the end. The Lord protects you. Who's been protected by God can see God protected you, that you could have been an idiot, like a real big one, and he protected you. I had a guy recently, man, this guy told me off, and the scenario doesn't matter, but this guy went off on me, and the thing was, is he was wrong, I was right, and the Holy Spirit just zipped my lips. I had a lot of things going through my mind that I wanted to say <laughs> a lot. And I continued to think about those things for like an hour after the things I should have said. But I was so thankful and grateful that the Holy Spirit, I mean, I, don't, I didn't even choose to be quiet. This is what's amazing. You start just getting before the Lord and you just start, I mean, he knows those things and you, you, they would have come out, you know, without me trying. And he just glued my lips together. He knows in you what you don't even know in you. Us knowing God is starting to learn about him. It's starting to replace those things in us with him. He knows all. He hasn't withheld anything from us. He's not going to hold anything back. And it's not religion. It's not doing things God's way because that's just how it is. It's really for our protection. It hedges us in, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me just go over here to the book of 1 Samuel. I just want to read quickly through this story. It says in 1 Samuel, we love talking about David, 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 this humble little guy, this humble guy, this guy in the back, you know, out in the fields taking care of the sheep, this little nobody out there that God raises up and calls a king. But do you know God did that once before? We forget Saul was humble. Everybody say out loud, Saul used to be humble. I started reading this, and it starts the same way. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 9, the people, they call out for a king. Who knows the history? God wanted to be their king, but the people call out and say, no, we need a king. We want to be ruled by a person. It hurts God's heart. He says, listen, it's not going to be the way you thought it was going to be, but we'll do it but you're going to have to trust me. I'm going to give you this guy. He'll be your king. 
And um, it doesn't change that I'm God, doesn't change that I'm truly the king. Um, but here's the guy. So God sends Samuel to go out and find this guy named Saul. And when, Sa- when Samuel finds him in chapter 9 here, verse 21, Saul replies, I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. So he was found in the smallest tribe, the most insignificant tribe in Israel. My family is the most insignificant of that tribe. (laughs) Why are you talking like this to me? Saul was so humble. There was hidden stuff inside of his heart, though, that he wasn't aware of, was he? Who knows the rest of the story with Saul before we even get into it? But on the surface, I mean, this is, I don't think Saul was lying because it continues. I think he genuinely was humble before the Lord. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5, the next chapter here, he says, when you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. And he's just telling Saul what to go do. Okay, you're the guy. I'm calling you. You're the guy. And here's what I want you to do. And he says in verse 6, at that time, the Spirit of the Lord, when you get to this town, the Spirit of the Lord's going to come upon you. And you're going to prophesy. And you'll be changed into a different person. God grabbed this guy and was going to change him into a new person. Well, this looks exactly like the transformation that Christ does, isn't it? We're changed into a different person. He comes and gets a hold of us, little little nobodies. Who was somebody before God? Anybody here? Or are we all like this story? He comes and finds us. You know, you didn't find God. People go, I found God. (laughs) That's okay. You can say that. I found God. Found God. Well, God found you first, then you found that it was true. He came and found you just like this, and He changes us. See, it was all God. Say, it was all God. It was always God. It was never Saul. It was never David. This is this thing we need to get to in as believers. It's not us. It's not us. Our nature is sin filled. Our hearts, because we were born from that garden, from that original sin, we were born from that in our flesh. But Jesus did something supernatural. He said, I got on a cross and I died. And that old man, if you're willing, if you will put your old man, you will put your old nature with, my, with me on that cross. When I was resurrected to life and seated at the right hand of the Father, I will take you with me and seat you there, which gives you a new mind, new eyes to see, new ears to hear. It'll give you a new heart. It'll give you a new way of seeing, a new way of understanding. Amen. This is the truth. This is what Jesus promises us. You can see that in Colossians chapter 3. We are dead and we're seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father in his heart. He's in our hearts. We're in his heart. We are one. Amen. But it says that after these signs take place, verse 7, do what must be done for God is with you. Go down to Gilgal ahead of me. Everybody say, go down to Gilgal ahead of me. All right, so he gives him exactly what to do. Saul was low. He was humble. God found him, and then he tells him what to do. Who told? Do you know that the Bible has, we think, well, God hasn't told me to do anything. Well, this amazing thing happened. God preserved his word wrapped in leather for 2,000 years and has told us exactly what to do. In fact, Paul tells us the same exact thing to do over and over again to each of the churches, and we can read them. He has told us exactly what to do. We uh, go to his word and we find out what it is, but he told him what to do. He said, I will join you there. So Samuel had planned to join Saul for a sacrifice, right? He had planned to join him, and he said, you must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. 
So God told Saul exactly what to do. But verse 9, as Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a, what's that say? Did you know that Saul got a new heart too? We talk about David's heart. Saul got a new heart from God. God came and found us in our sin and gives us his heart. It's really what we do with it. It's really what we do with it that God's talking about with David. The difference is what they did with it. It says in verse 10, when Saul and his servant arrived, they saw a group of prophets coming, and Saul does exactly what Samuel uh, says. He begins to prophesy, and then, uh, and then this amazing thing happens here in verse 14. It says, where have you been? Remember, Saul went out to go look for the animals, and he looked for the donkeys, and in verse 14, he's, and he doesn't tell his uncle where he was. He doesn't tell him where he was. He doesn't tell him what happened. Now, someone comes to you and says, you're going to be the next president of the United States. When you get back home, what are you going to tell your uncle? Where have you been? You're going to be quiet about it? You're going to be the new president. I think you might tell your uncle. You're not going to get on the news and tell everybody, but maybe your uncle. He doesn't tell him. I see the humility here. I see the humility. I see the heart of God in him. He doesn't tell him. In fact, it goes on, it says, it says that when they go looking for him, they, they go looking for Saul. In verse 21, they bring out the family members, and Saul's chosen. Samuel's going through the families, and he's, gonna, he's, gonna do, he's doing the formal raising up the king now. He did the private, you're the guy, you're the king, and now he's doing the public, and he's going through the families, and it says in verse 21 that they went to go look for him, but he had disappeared. Verse 22, so they asked, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out. This guy was a humble guy. He doesn't tell anyone, and then when they go, he's hiding. He doesn't even want to be paraded out. Doesn't even want to be, necessarily. He's willing, but doesn't want to be a show. Doesn't care. Doesn't care what anybody thinks. Does not looking. He wasn't looking to be praised. Wasn't looking to be the king. Amen. Are we following along so far? It's making sense. This is chapter 10. Who knows the rest of the story? It's amazing where, how this turns, and it's so heartbreaking. And yet the Lord put this in his word so we can read it and learn from it. And it says in chapter 13, just a few chapters later, in verse 5, a big war is going on. There's a big war, and... All these men, it says there was more men than, than sand on the seashore. This is how it, at least how it appeared. And it says in verse 6, 1 Samuel chapter 13, now Saul is king. Just a short time later, now Saul is king. God said, God took a nobody, a no one, a little guy, gave him his heart, gave him his spirit. He starts prophesying, gives him the gifts. Come on, let's look at the picture here. God gives him the gifts, gives him his heart. He gives him everything, and Saul uh, was so humble about it, and yet something began to happen here. In verse 6, it says, the men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, it says that they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, and holes, and cisterns, and some of them crossed the Jordan River. So Saul starts seeing people hiding. His men are starting to even leave. And they escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at, what's that say? Where does he stay? He stays, wow, I'm, where verse am I in? Nobody knows. Verse 7, he stays in Gilgal. Wow. Saul stayed at Gilgal, verse 7, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. 
What did we just read? What did Samuel tell Saul to do? Wait seven days. Which, why wouldn't he listen? I'm a nobody. I'm a little nobody. And who am I? This is what God has asked of me. How quickly do we start to come up with a better plan than God? How many times has God asked you to do something and we come up with modifications that'll help God? <laughs> well, I'm going to help God out here. Because God doesn't, what God didn't realize is the people were, were filled with fear. God didn't realize that how big this army was going to be that's going to come against us. There's some things that God didn't know here. So he waited the seven days as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Who's waited on God and then you wait some more? When you're not sure what to do, you're not sure which way to turn, just stay. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to wait on Him. And this right here, this moment, this humble guy, God went and found this guy, this low guy, doesn't even necessarily want the job, but he's going to do it for the sake of God and the people. And he gets into fear, gets into worry, gets into what do the people think? What are people going to think? It, it, however you want it, whatever, you, we each have our own way that we start to get into our own strength and push God back. And there's many, many levels to that. Some of it is fear. You would say fear is not not trusting God. How is fear not trusting God? But fear is basically saying, God may be said all this, this, and that, that he was going to be there for me. He'd never leave me. He'd never forsake me. He went to the cross for me. He prepared eternity for me. He gave me health. He gave me life, et cetera. He gave me peace. He gave me joy. He gave me hope. But right in this moment, God is not with me. That's what fear is doing. And it seems so subtle, but fear and anxiousness and worry, it's so subtle, but the devil uses it for a tool to get into that heart. Now, when, what have I said many times, and I didn't coin this, but I think it's so good. When you get afraid, just do it afraid. Do what God's asked you to do afraid. But don't let fear get to you. Don't let, the, let your mind and your heart start to change what God has said and what is what his way. His way is his way. It seems so subtle, and yet the devil came with subtleties in the garden. That's what he does. His game is not obvious. The more you walk with the Lord, it's not going to be obvious. It's going to be subtle. It's a little tiny bit of arsenic in each bite of ice cream. It's going to seem like this makes sense and this tastes good. And it's a little bit by little bit. And that's exactly what Saul, Saul's downturn, his spiral down to the very bottom Let's just skip ahead. Saul goes to such a depth of craziness that he goes and murders the priests of God out of jealousy. And that's just one example. Tries to kill his own son. He parades around trying to kill David out of jealousy and envy and bitterness for years. And who, how did that happen? This guy here that had a humble heart. It says, verse 9, Saul, or first, verse 8, Saul realized his troops were rapidly slipping away. And, and just, let's just put it this way. In verse 8, what happens here is Saul goes into his own strength. Let's just say that out loud. Saul got into his own strength. We all have different strengths that we lean upon. We, we all. But we all have things that we naturally, when push comes to shove, we get into autopilot mode. We get into a place inside of us where we have strength. I'll deal with this. Okay, enough's enough. I'm going to deal with this. And we all can be pushed to that place where we do that or we say, no, I'm just going to make a mess. God, you got to deal with this. And anyway, verse 8, he gets pushed into his own strength. You can study this out deeper. But verse 9, it says, So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. This is exactly what 
this little nobody, Samuel said, I'm going to find you after seven days, and this is, I'm going to do this. And Samuel is the representative of God. You have to look, when you look at the word, you have to understand the full picture of what's going on in his word. Samuel is God's representative. In other words, God said, you're Saul, you're the king. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to use you. I love you. I've got a plan and I've got a purpose for you. And he says the same thing to each of us. But I'm God and I've got a way. And here's my way. Here's my way. Here's my word. And I want you to follow my word. And you may not understand why that matters, but you must follow it the way that I penned it because I'm God and I know what I'm doing. And so what he was actually doing here was not rebelling against Samuel, but rebelling against God. He rebelled against the Lord and it seems so subtle, doesn't seem like a big deal. And that's just the way the devil wants it. That's exactly what the devil wants you to think. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not really rebelling against God. What's the big deal? He wants you to get to the place where you're going to say, well, I was compelled. He felt compelled to do God's job. I'm going to, I felt compelled to do God's job of deciding what is right and wrong. We must not get to the place where we're compelled to decide for God what is right and wrong, but his word is his word. But it says in verse 11 that Samuel said, what is this you have done? It sounds to me when I read these words, when I hear these words, I hear exactly what God said to Adam. Adam, where are you? He knows exactly where he is. <laughs> He's not really hiding, was he? But what did you do? And right here, the heart, of Satan that had gotten into Adam and Eve just for a moment. God didn't leave them, didn't abandon his creation, obviously, because Christ came. But the heart had gotten into them, and the, he responds the same way Adam does, and he points to the woman. He's like, well, she made me do it. <laughs> Eve made me do it. <laughs> and Samuel says to him, what have you done and Saul replies, well, I, 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 I saw men scattering from me, and, and you, God, you, you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines at Mishmash, they're ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help, so I felt compelled to do my own thing. I felt compelled to do what I thought was best. I let the situation around me push me to a place where I reverted to my own strength and offered the burnt offerings myself before you came. In verse 13, this is the verse I want you to, I want to get to, and this is what Acts is talking about. Acts uh, verse 22 there in 13 says the same thing. It's talking about this moment, how foolish Samuel exclaimed, you have not kept the command the Lord gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not. So what was the reason? You have not kept the Lord's command. Sometimes to truly understand a word, we need to understand the antonym, right? To truly understand what it means to have a heart after God, it's easier to see what a heart not after God is. And it creates the full meaning of the word. If we could say that a heart not after God is not keeping the Lord's command, then a heart after God is keeping his command. You know what the Bible says? It says, my commands are not burdensome. God's word is not burdensome. God's word is protection. 
And that's why I read that verse in Jeremiah, because you don't even know what's in your heart. We don't even fully know what's inside here. Until push comes to shove, if we are not relying on God already, now, the only reason I believe the Holy Spirit zipped my lips, well, he could do that to anybody, but he zipped my lips because I already rely on him. Does that mean that I did not walk away feeling righteous? I did not. I'm, I'm being very humble before you. I did not walk away saying, wow, I'm so proud that I held my lips. I know for a fact that I did not, that God did it for me. But it's because I'm in, in a place, and as we are as believers, right, where we rely on God, I am asking him to have his heart all the time. I'm searching his word to have that heart. So when flesh came up, just as the opportunity came up in Saul, as the opportunity came up to get into fear and into worry and into anxiousness and into anger and into rage and all the other things that come out of our flesh in the heat of the moment, at that moment, I'd already been asking the Lord to give me his heart and the Holy Spirit did it for me. And then he showed me, he didn't just do it so I wouldn't even see it, but let me see that it was him. Let me see both sides that I could have responded. And I'm still justified to this day in the sense that what actually happened, but that's not the point. The point is that if I had responded, all it does is just, you know what happens when somebody's enraged at you and I give you rage back? Here's some gasoline on that fire. If they're not giving me Christ, then why they're giving me the devil and I try to give them the devil back. Now we just got a devil's war. But Christ just kept his mouth shut, didn't he? Saul relied on his own strength and that right there as so subtle. It's so subtle. But the Lord is telling us today, I want hearts. I just want to be with you. I just want to know you. I want to be with my people. I just want to be friends with you. I want to love you. I want to walk with you. And that's all. He gave that same exact opportunity to Saul as he did to David. He didn't go looking for David just because he's like, oh, David's better looking. (laughs) David's smarter. Oh, I got a faster, smarter, cooler guy for you. David's not a replacement because it was convenient or it was the best, better option for God. He gave this opportunity. You know, when God says something in his word, he means it. Is God a liar? It says right here, the verses say it. It says, God would have established your kingdom, verse 13, forever. We love David, in this, and we can't change the story. I mean, the story is David, and even Jesus comes from him. But God wasn't lying. This is not some sort of trick. Verse, in chapter 15, here's Saul's downturn. Chapter 15 now, God tells Saul, I want you to go and... and I want you to destroy this Amalekite nation. And I know that this is a little bit different than New Testament, the way we think about God. And we just need to understand that God is God and we need to just let him be God. And this is a heathen nation that it doesn't matter whether we understand it or not. He told Saul, I want you to go destroy this nation. Every single one, even babies, even the animals, even their stuff. I want you to go and destroy it. Now, this is 15, so 13's already happened. How many times have we read in the Bible about a people or a nation that God gives them a bad report and they repent and God takes it back? Do you know what the story of Jonah is? What's the story of Jonah, right? We, love, we know about him in the whale, right? In the belly of the great fish. But really, the story is when he gets there, they repent, And now God doesn't do what he said in Jonah's having a hissy fit because he's like, I went through all that. I come there. I give them the report you told me to give them. And now you're going to, now because they're repenting, you're not going to punish them? His word, the whole thing about Christ, the whole thing about humanity is that we in our flesh are desperate, wicked sinners in our flesh. But through Christ and through repentance, we have life and we have unlimited, everybody say it out loud, unlimited mercy and grace. 
every single time you turn again to him. His word is filled with that. You know what Saul never does once? There's not one account ever of him repenting. David murders, has an affair and murders, but repents before the Lord and the Lord forgives him. Saul just passed the buck. And here he is again. He could have repented. I'm not saying that he, that, see, sometimes the, we repent and it doesn't mean that he'd still be the king. But you see so many times where the Lord's like, okay, well, I'm not going to destroy it. I'm not going to do such and such in your lifetime, though. In one way or another, the Lord still has a plan that he has to follow out. But we see later on in, in, other, in other kings' lives where they do repent of their sin. God forgives them. He says, I'm still going to do what I said I was going to do, but not in your lifetime. So I don't know what the grand scheme would have been. I don't know if once he said it, that was it, or if he could have had the kingdom back. But regardless, he doesn't repent. And in fact, it gets worse. Chapter 15 here, Samuel comes to him again, and he says, you know, he spares Agag, and he says, they spare the best. God tells him what to do. And it says in chapter 15, it says that they spared the king of Agag, chapter 8, I mean, verse 8. And it says in verse 9 that they kept the best. Everybody say they kept what was convenient, what made sense. They decided again to do what they thought was best. We cannot just do what we think is best. A heart after God, are we getting the picture here of what a heart after God is? It's what God thinks is best. No matter what, no matter if we think it makes sense or not. They thought, this is ridiculous. Why would we destroy all these things? Why would we get rid of all this perfectly good sheep, goats, cattle, and fat calves and lambs and everything? In fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless and poor quality. And Samuel comes again, and just very quickly, he comes again and he says... God had spoken to him in verse 11. I'm sorry I even made Saul king. He has not been loyal to me, and he has refused to obey my command. So Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard that he cried out to the Lord all night. And in verse 12, he comes to find him. And verse 13, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greets him cheerfully. And he said, I've carried out the Lord's command. Isn't that amazing? Verse 14, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? It's true that the army spared again. Man, this guy just cannot get a clue here. It's true that we did what we thought was best, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. We destroyed everything else. We did almost everything God asked us to do. Let's remember little Saul. Who am I? Who am I? I'm no one. God's like, you're right, but I'm going to make you someone just because you're no one. And it's hiding. And now he's like, well, listen, Samuel, I know you're the prophet. I know you represent the Lord, but I just thought this was a better idea. And Samuel said to Saul, man, when I read this verse right here, when Samuel comes and he, he comes to Saul in verse, uh, he comes here in verse 16, and he says, stop, <laughs> exclamation point. I don't want to give you the fullness, but I was hearing it in my head. I don't want to scare anybody in here. I can yell. It always scares people because I'm not really a yeller, but then when I do, everybody's shocked. I can hear it in my head. Enough. Listen to what the Lord told me, and he, and he tells him again. He says in verse 17, and I want to bring that up in the New King James, actually. And it says, remember... Basically, what he's saying here is, remember when you were little in your own eyes? Remember that? Remember how he found you and he made you king over Israel? 
Isn't this so sad? This is a good sermon, though, guys. This is a happy sermon because we're not going to be like this. We're reading. We're, we have hearts like Christ, right? We have hearts like David, right? They just want to please the Lord. But it's so good to, to understand this because we all have this temptation to lean on our own strength and our own fears and our own worries and to do things our way. When we do, it just gets worse and worse. One little decision to do it our way becomes another decision to do it our way. And again, like I said, I just skipped ahead because we don't have time. But it gets so bad that he just kills all the priests. He's a, and, and we don't have time, but a chapter later, he's going to set up a monument to himself. Remember, and he says, why haven't you obeyed? And in verse 20, he says, I did obey, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought, and then he's now, he, he's justifying, and right, it's what we do. We can justify anything. And then oh, my troops brought him back. I didn't. They brought back the plunder. He is the king, but his troops apparently have more authority than he does. Again, you are God. He says in verse 22, a verse, one of the most famous verses that we know as believers, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or obedience to his voice? And you may know it as obedience is better than sacrifice right there. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering a fat of rams. Saul's issue was that he forgot about God. He became his own worst enemy. He was more concerned about staying king and keeping people happy than pleasing God who made him king. I just want to just read this one last thing and then we'll close with this. In contrast, now we've got David. He's bringing in the ark of God and he's about to, this is it, he is king now. Now David is king, and he's establishing the kingdom that God gave him. And now look at the contrast here. David comes in, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, it says, David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. Verse 16, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, and she said in disgust how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. In verse 21, David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. It's amazing the contrast. That's the heart of God. Saul, again, just because we don't have time, I talked for long enough. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I always try to keep it tight, and then it just keeps going, so I'm going to stop. But read his story more, because Saul's story, just, it, just the spiral there in 1 Samuel it gets worse and worse and worse and worse because he never ever just got to that place where he didn't care about anything but God. I had to just read this to close because he is willing to be foolish. He kept that humble heart. God gives him a heart exactly, we just didn't have time to read it, gives him a heart just like he gave Saul. But David kept it. Every time that David messed up, Lord, read the Psalms. We didn't have time to read 150 Psalms today. It would take about six hours straight. 
And they're over and over and over again about how great God is, how little we are, and yet that he loves us, how he cares for us, how he takes care of me. I mean, over and over again. And Psalm 51, where he goes on after Bathsheba and murdering all those guys, he goes on and on and on about the Lord's grace and mercy. That's the difference. And that's the heart the Lord is looking for. He's not looking for your perfection, but he's looking for a heart that says, Lord, I'm sorry that I've tried to do it in my own strength. I've tried to do things in my own way. Forgive me, Lord, forgive even getting in what seems so subtle and so little and doesn't seem like rebellion against God, but in fear and in worry and in trying to just do things a little bit better than your word says. And when every time we do that, we don't have the heart of God. We have the heart, really, to be brutally honest, of the devil. And it's so subtle at first, but it spirals down to complete and total. Just He becomes actually insane. That's what the Bible says. He goes insane. And whereas David is still distinguished to this day, as it says there. Amen. Let's just stand and we just thank you, Lord God. Just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you're going to do even greater, Lord, than just than just me speaking these words, Lord, something deeper is happening. I thank you, Lord, that there's a supernatural thing that's happening in our hearts, Lord. Your spirit now is going into our hearts and rearranging, Lord, thoughts and intents. Lord, that's what your word does. Thank you, Lord. It, it divides our heart. It divides our soul, Lord, and you show us who we are. You show us ourselves. And I thank you, Lord. The thing we need to see the most is who you are and who you want us to be. And we're just sorry, Lord. We just want to just quickly in our own hearts, Lord, we just repent for taking the reins ourselves. Lord, as the little subtle tricks of the enemy to try to get us to get in our own strength and to do it in ourselves. And okay, I got this. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have this, but you do. And I thank you, Lord, that you're with us. You never leave us. And Holy Spirit, even when we want to speak, you zip our lips if we stay close to you. And we thank you, Lord God. We just pray that you keep doing that in our hearts. Keep renewing us. Lord, we're going to stay in your word. We're going to stay together as believers as you commanded us, Lord, for our own protection. That protects us, and we thank you, Lord, that then when those moments come where we could get into our own strength, we're going to turn and say, no, we rely on the Lord. This house, this house relies on the Lord. We stand with the Lord, and I don't know how it's going to work out, and it doesn't make sense. And you know what? They may even kill me, but I'm going to trust in the Lord to the very end. In Jesus' name, amen.